1: On free FM 89.0. I'm Holly Snape. I am from Community Waikato and I have with me Annette Evans today. Hi, Annette.
0: Hi, Holly. Lovely to meet with you.
1: And it's, it's great to have you joining us today. We're having a, a conversation today about endometriosis, which is the, the world you, um, you live in, you work in, <laughs> you do everything for at the moment. So we want to have a bit of a chat about who you guys are as Insight Endometriosis, um, the sorts of things that you can do for people in, in, in your day job, but also we're going to talk more broadly about the issues. Could we start off, though, with a bit of background for people who haven't heard of you before? What does Insight Endometriosis do?
0: Yeah, and th- this, this is a great question. So we've been around since 1999, um, uh, but I guess people haven't necessarily heard about us. So we provide um, support and information and through some strong partnerships with organisations, uh, work towards some equitable change. So we've got kind of a vision that lives aren't going to be limited or defined by endometriosis, and so everyone that's affected is empowered and supported with that equitable outcome focus for us.
1: When you say provide support, what, what does it look like?
0: Yeah, and for different people it's, Different things. So, um, what we've found is that endometriosis, despite being really common, affecting about one in 9 There's isn't really
1: that many. One in nine. So, like out of ten people, you're going to know at least one.
0: Uh, exactly right. So that's based on a, a research study done in Australia recently that says there's a one in nine risk up to the age of forty-four mm. that a woman in Australia will be diagnosed with endometriosis. So. Um, that 's probably in a way conservative, yes, um, but it gives us an idea of the sorts of numbers that we 're dealing with. but having said that it's still look quite isolating. people don 't talk about endometriosis and um, and there's as a result they 're feeling quite um, isolated and in need of support
1: there 's been um, you know, and it might be a good idea to explain what um, endometriosis is because I think historically there 's been a sense that um, it's normal for women to experience pain um, during a period. So, you know, um, so endo's probably just a, a title for that experience. <laughs> you know, I think sometimes there is this misconception, and, and I was hoping you could just give us a little bit of um, clarity on, on whether or not, A, you should be in pain, <laughs> and B, what endometriosis actually is.
0: Yeah, and those, those things are related. And I guess the issue that we've got is when you hear period pain, people kind of automatically put a little word in front of it, the word just yes. and it's minimised and, and everyone thinks well it's just just normal period pain but periods aren't meant to be painful there might be some level of discomfort perhaps but um, you know a panadol and getting on with life is, is, is what a, a normal period should look like um, but for those with endometriosis typically it, it can be um, a level of pain from um you know something that interferes with their life through to something debilitating and everything in between um, but yeah if, if it's a it's, if it 's actual pain that 's interfering with your life then um, that 's not how a period is meant to be mm.
1: um,
0: so yeah it, it it might not be endometriosis either, but it should be looked at
1: and so what is endometriosis then
0: yeah the the clinical definition is is around um, what looks like the lining of the endometrium um, found in other locations throughout the body, um, which is actually not a very helpful description for people. <laughs> um, so it's it's an inflammatory condition. It's a chronic, lifelong condition um, with massive impacts on people, um, on relationships, on the ability to study and work, mm. Um you know tra- traveling and, and um, fertility and so on so while it's easy to minimize and dismiss it as just period pain it's actually uh, a much larger societal problem as much for the individual
1: mm. Mm. okay it doesn't always just affect the uterus sort of part of the body
0: well it, it's I guess classically associated with um, the, the pelvic organ, so the, mm. that's why it's become a gynecological um, discipline. You know, you go and see a gynecologist to, 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 to treat endometriosis, but the reality is it's a more systemic issue. Um, so I guess, you know, we're in a COVID world at the moment, people are probably thinking COVID along the lines of, a, of an acute condition affect everybody and you get over it in a few days but for you know there's a number of people that are finding symptoms that last a lot longer and we have no idea if those systems are going to last indefinitely for that group but you know what started out as an acute condition for them has ended up being chronic and ongoing mm. um, so I guess that's a, that's, that's a bit of a layman's um, um, take on it but uh, but if you like to think of it that way it's, it's possible to think oh, it's just something that happens every Period, but the reality is, it's it is something that's lifelong and ongoing, and often it deteriorates or progresses.
1: Mm, mm. So, so there's a clinical pathway for managing endometriosis, and we'll we'll get to diagnoses and stuff a little bit later because I understand that there's some challenges around that. Mm. But um, but in terms of the non-clinical support, could we just talk about some of the specifics that you provide at insight?
0: Yeah. Yeah. So. It, it kind of depends if people are after information or if they're after support or or both. Yeah. So for some people um, they live with endometriosis quite comfortably but they want to be informed to become more empowered and so for that we offer um, education appointments, webinars, fact sheets, um, things like that. So you know, a lot of it's kind of I guess clinically based Mm -hmm. content. Uh, For others they're looking at more support. So for them, it's the challenge of living with endometriosis. They might be feeling isolated. Um, they just want to share experiences to be able to to chat with um, somebody else who just understands. Mm. And and so you know, for them, they're looking at that um, either one-on-one or um, or support groups. Um, and so we offer those in person, but since COVID, we've been doing a lot of it on Zoom. And mm. um, and that's just a way so people who aren't even feeling too good can and connect online in their pyjamas, in their mm-hmm. um, in their lounge with a hottie if that's what they want to do. They don't have to think I have to go out and oh gosh, that's a problem. Um, yeah. so there's lots of different opportunities and we are looking at um, at coming up with some different ways, you know, there could be an endo buddy or an endo coach um, who, you know, provides more individualized um, care or connection. Mm. Um, that suit different people in different ways.
1: Nice. So, I mean, I wanted to speak to you because I've been, I've seen, I think, two separate articles now, and I don't know if I've read one previously, but two separate articles in the last few days around endometriosis and um, the difficulties women um, are, are finding in being diagnosed in the first instance, but then accessing help um, clinically um, when they are diagnosed. And I've and been quite um, emotional with really, the articles, and I just wanted to. Um, to ask you about your reading of what is going on here and, and why are we seeing this like, now as, as something that's really been discussed.
0: Mm. And I think it's great to have awareness raised. Um, you know, for too long endometriosis has been a, a hidden epidemic um, and uh, it's good to have all these stories cu- coming out. Um, there's been a recent piece of research which may have prompted some of it, which puts diagnostic delays in New Zealand 8.7 years. Oh wow! And um, and that's probably staggering for people. But I know when we did a research paper about 12 years ago, we put that at close to 15 years. and wow. So things have actually um, there's been a sense of Im- improvement to get to 8.7 yes. years, but that's still you know not an acceptable kind of a. Uh, a length of time for people to wait to have a, a diagnosis. Um, so there's a lot of issues attached to that. Um, there, you know, there are a lot of heartbreaking stories ab- about the impact of endometriosis, uh, and that's great. But we actually need some some action mm. um, more systemically to move the dial on on that. Um, it, you, you know, it's not just a matter of raised awareness, which I think we've been kind of banging on about for a long time about what uh, symptoms to look out for, it's now well, what do we do about it yeah. going forward.
1: What, what's the delay in diagnosis about? Do you have any, any theories or have you seen any research on, on what, um, why it takes so long for that diagnosis?
0: Yeah, well, we've been aware of it since we did our research project back 2010-2011 and there were a number of factors that came out of that. So for some it's that normalisation that we were talking about earlier, um, and just the you know, no one talks about it. So how do you know about a condition no one talks about? Mm. Um, there's a, a certain amount of frustration for a lot of women going to gynaecologists, um, sorry, GPs, mm. around uh, not being heard. So that recent piece of research says that to to, to get to a diagnosis took five different um, GPs um, to, to be assessed and. Uh, and so there's the sense of GP shopping to, to find a GP that will listen. Mm. Um, and so that's an issue that uh, a, a lot of patients have identified. Um, once people are referred on to a gynecologist, generally they're, they're, they're pretty happy. You know, yeah. That's what our research found. There's just this gulf between... Um, the symptoms and getting to the
1: gynaecologist. Look, I'm probably using a, um, a somewhat of a controversial term here, but that feels quite like gatekeeping. Gatekeeping in the in the you know um, place of the GPs, not putting women through to um, the gynaecologists who might be able to help.
0: I, I guess that's what kind of the sentiment that came out of our research. You know, 20 years ago was the sense that. Um, you know a, a GP is the gateway to um, mm. to that care of a gynecologist and I guess one aspect of it is is those who have the funding can pick up the phone and ring and book an appointment directly with a gynecologist and uh, um, that will get them an initial appointment and they you know if they can afford that then um, then that's one avenue uh, but for, for others it's just the sentiment that the GP um, is I, I guess you know, the word you use was gatekeeping. There, there were a set of clinical guidelines released in March 2020, um, which unfortunately was about a week before um, hmm. COVID lockdown, and hmm. um, and I guess that kind of got lost in translation. But um, if if you have a look at those guidelines, the, the interpretation of the of the 20 DHBs has effectively been that um, there needs to be a, a, an empirical treatment. Um, provided for six months and that referral will only be accepted into the um, tertiary care um, if that fails uh, which means in practice uh, women need to have uh, a medication uh, for six months before they can be referred on and that um, um, has created a lot of angst uh, for women to have discovered mm. um, that, that that's the case and um, and it's even worse for those who are, uh, you know, younger. Um, so teens can have endometriosis. So uh, for them, that's particularly pro- problematic if, you know, you say a 14-year-old. Um, but equally for the gender diverse, um, because, mm. of course, they're, they're impacted as well. So um, there are all of these equity issues tied up with with that Um in terms of the acceptability, you know, for the mm. experience of those with endometriosis.
1: I mean, you, you would suggest that there is a clinical reason for a, medicate, a medicated approach first, assuming that many other conditions would be handled with medication. And when we say medication, are we largely talking painkillers?
0: Uh, some of it's painkillers, but um, largely hormone therapy for, ah. of varying descriptions. And, uh, and there's a huge international debate about what are best clinical guidelines. Mm. And different countries have got um, quite different takes on, on that. And, uh, you know, until recently, um, the, the, I guess the issue is there has not been a great deal of research in this space. Mm. And so, whichever guidelines you read, um, they all come to the same conclusion that there is limited evidence. Um, you know, when there's only a study of, you know, 12, 20, 30 people, um, how do you extrapolate that mm. to be a useful um, uh, clinical guidance? And so a lot of it's based on um, even clinical expertise, you know, an, an evaluation, what, to, what do clinicians think um, about it? But there really hasn't been a lot of consultation with uh, what women want. <laughs> yeah. And um, and and it, feel, it feels to... Um, people living locally that um, the, the guidelines are short changing um, you know, what they'd like to see in, in, um, in, on, in treatment ongoing
1: mm, mm. You mentioned equity issue there again and, and this is something that um, you know, it's a really interesting way to frame, um, to frame this issue and I'd keen I'd for you to explore or explain to us um, what you mean by endometriosis and in, in this treatment being an equity issue
0: yeah, well, we've kind of realised over, over the years that we don't really want to be the ambulance at the bottom mm. of the cliff. We'd rather be the fence at the top and um, and that there needs to be some systemic change to, to change outcomes. Um, you know, it would be better for the country for people to be diagnosed um, earlier. Um, it would create uh, less, less burden on the individual but also less burden on, um, you know, em- employers, um, you know, economic um, the you know the impact on um, learning institutions, you know secondary schools with absenteeism. Mm. Um, the you know the whole the whole community is impacted. Um, you know, families are impacted. Um, Productivity is impacted. Um, so there, there would be a lot of lot to gain by um, having changes that were made, which. Led to a quicker diagnosis, mm. um, treatment options that are um, co-designed with uh, the patient based on um, best practice through research, and um, and so on. So yeah, so we're taking quite a a, a broad approach in this, saying, well, you know, hang on a minute, this is <laughs> this is equally uh, you know a gender equality issue. Um, and, and and so on. Um, you know, it shouldn't be up to 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 those affected to have to advocate so hard and to become expert patients and yeah. and, uh, and and go through the mill just to be heard and to and to have a diagnosis.
1: And, and I imagine um, at times, you know, just to be believed that it's a problem.
0: Yeah, I mean, we we hear a lot of time that it's it's kind of you know dismissed as uh, you know it's it's all in your head or it's a you know, they, people are looking more to the mental health issues, mm. but that, in our mind, is, again, the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff. If, if someone's been living with symptoms for, for so long that they're beginning to feel um, depressed and um, and, uh, mm. and anxious and have all of these other impacts, then well, we should be going back a step and saying, well, let's address the core issue yes. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and head off all of those secondary issues um, from starting in the first place.
1: Uh, yeah, that makes absolutely perfect sense so what would the ideal system look like then from your perspective
0: well I guess we kind of don't know yeah. and, and, and that there, there is a, uh, an absence of research so in our minds we would like to see a whole lot of co-designed research but also in the meantime there could be a whole bunch of co-designed changes within the health system which could be quite quickly implemented if, if only the you know, the lived experience, the voice of patients was incorporated um, in the design of systems, mm.
1: so then,
0: then that would make a huge difference quite, quite quickly. It, it might not, um, uh, you know, change overnight the clinical guidelines, but, um, but we think that there, there could be a lot to be gained with, with that approach.
1: Um, I'm going to throw you something that's just so left of field, and I've apologised because we didn't we didn't discuss this at all. Um, but as you're saying that, and as we were talking about equity as well before, I just I was thinking: do we know if it's a um, an ethnic issue as well? Is is there are there different outcomes for um, women of colour as opposed to um, you know white women, or you, do do as you've seen kind of how you also mentioned um, gender diverse people, we see different outcomes for people who are. Um, you know outside of that white female kind of model
0: yeah it 's actually incredibly hard to get statistics around this stuff um, and and to pin it down um, you know I guess anecdotally when we when we talk to to people of different cultures, there are a lot of barriers to, to care mm. um, so part of that is, is, is language, yes of course but um, and i 'm not just meaning necessarily. English versus other languages, but just the language of endometriosis, how yes. do you to describe it, what you know, what, what do all these terms mean.
1: Well even the word endometriosis is not an easy one.
0: Oh no <laughs> one wants a condition they can't pronounce Ollie, I tell you. No. Um, so yeah, so there's, there's those issues, but also the cultural barriers, you know. A lot a lot of times um, you know, menstruation is not not, mm. not an open discussion in a lot of cultures and mm. um, And it's also um, travels in families, so um, endometriosis affects one in nine across a population, but it's thought to affect one in two in families. And so if you imagine a a culture where you you don't discuss these sorts of issues, but mum and grandmother and aunts all have these symptoms, then you're going to end up with with whole um, families and communities who are missing out on... Mm. Um, just recognition of symptoms, let alone raising it with a with a GP, and um, and then the barriers taking it to a GP, um, uh, with the, you know the embarrassment around discussing some of these symptoms. Um, you know, it's not easy to sometimes bring up period pain, painful intercourse, uh, fertility problems, and mm. um, and in, in your own culture, let alone taking it to a GP.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and the work you're doing is, is really powerful. It's fantastic to have an organisation like Insight Endometriosis supporting women, providing this information, providing this advocacy that you do. How do you guys um, get by? Like, how, how are you funded to do the work that you do?
0: Um, we, we rely on community generosity, Holly. So there, there is no magic pool of government funding for uh, the support and information that we provide. Uh, we don't offer... Um, clinical, um, uh, you know, um, uh, services. We don't, we don't um, prescribe n- none of that, and so, um, and so we rely on uh, community generosity, which in recent times has been more and more difficult to get. Mm. And, and I'm not talking COVID. This, um, uh, this is just a, a, a kind of a deprioritization um, a, across a lot of, um, of our traditional funders have stepped back from funding um, health related issues mm. because I guess they feel that it should be funded by um, government but the reality for us is that it, it's not and should doesn't pay the bill <laughs>
1: and, um, yeah.
0: and so um, it's becoming more and more difficult to secure uh, funding and, and when you know, that that's just from month to monthly loan in the longer term.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, there have been quite a number of um, of funders who have deprioritised health um, right across sort of the funding landscape. So that would have had a significant impact on um, on what you're able to do.
0: At, at present, we're okay, but um, I guess there's two aspects. One is this know constant thinking well where where is our next lot of funding going to come from but but also because we'd like to work at a more systemic Mm. level um, you know we could really change outcomes with an increase in funding yeah and so that that whole kind of quantum change um, is inhibited by lack of funding so this
1: goes back to exactly what you're saying about being um, a fence at the top of the cliff rather than the ambulance at the bottom
0: Absolutely, you know we can't we can't remove the ambulance at the bottom. Everyone needs that um, yeah. that that support. You know, you imagine St John pulling ambulances out, and saying, "Oh, sorry, the health system's going to deliver it now." <laughs> that's that's you know that that's not going to work. But um, if if we can you know work more in that space at at the top, then there'll be less less need perhaps for the ambulance at the, at the bottom and um, uh, you know less acute need. Um, and, and it will be easier for, for people to, to study, to, to work, to, uh, to have a family when they want to um, and, uh, and minimise eventually the, the, the impact on the health system because mm. it's, it's quicker to diagnose, there are best practices um, that you know, best meet the need of patients.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, those best practices, are they coming internationally? Are they? Is that where we're getting the evidence? Because, you know, you've talked about sort of Australian research and research you guys have undertaken and, and other overseas research, but is there a lot really that comes from New Zealand?
0: No, no, there's not. I mean, um, in, in, in terms of that the study we've done and in terms of the other study that's done recently, that's... Um, that's come from the community, so those are, are, are surveys of lived experience. Mm. In terms of c- clinical, around um, you know what medications are useful, um, what surgeries are, are best practice, and so on, there really isn't a, a lot of that happening in New Zealand, or indeed internationally. The studies that are being done uh, are quite, um, um, I mean, are considered low quality, and that thus the smaller, um,
1: smaller sample sizes, sample
0: sizes. Yeah, and, yeah, and they all conclude there needs to be more studies done, yeah. that. that's, that's what these limited researchers are saying and so that's led to different outcomes which we feel um, are resource um, based rather than necessarily best practice based yeah. um, because there's a different approach here compared with Australia, yeah. compared with the UK, there are brand new guidelines just released in Europe, which is different again, and the guidelines in the US are, are different, and and it's because there's this there's this lack of of guidance mm. that's research based.
1: It blows my mind because you know, right at the beginning of our conversation today, you talked about it being kind of at, at a at a lower estimation, one and nine. It feels like you could get a good sample size.
0: <laughs> yes, you could, and I guess the part of the difficulty is around. Um, you know, even the diagnosis, uh, if if we look at what we would call gold standard, um, to get to a diagnosis requires surgery. So that's a, a, a general anaesthetic with a laparoscope and mm. a highly qualified uh, gynaecologist. Um, and there are not that many internationally to meet the demand of one and nine. Mm. And, um, uh, so in nine. And so instead there's been a move to... Uh, what they call a clinical diagnosis which is based on well let's see if we can find another cause for symptoms which might be polyps or fibroids or and, and we haven't found anything else so let's say it's endometriosis because that's the most plausible explanation and there are some imaging that can be used but again you can neither rule in nor rule out yeah. endometriosis purely from those things and, and so that leaves us in a bind um, when you don't have enough resource yeah. Um, to diagnose, but it's best practice to have a, have a diagnosis um, mm. to treat, and so it is a difficult thing for, I think, um, health systems around the world to, to reconcile.
1: I, I can see, yeah, I can see the conundrum, but, um, and we've run out of time at our end, but I, I mean, it just goes to show how important it is, the work that you guys do, and particularly in the advocacy space. So, um, so yeah, keep, keep all that up. That is amazing. And we'll come back to you as well, um, you know, a little bit down the track as hopefully we make a bit more
0: headway in this space. Awesome. Always love talking to you, Holly. There's a lot of issues to be discussed. There sure are.
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Annette. That is Annette from uh, Insight Endometriosis, and you're listening to Connect with Community Waikato, 3FM 89.0.